This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Good evening. It's great to be here. Uh, you know when a room is full of testosterone, when the guys come to church with slippers, shorts, and a t-shirt in winter. So if there's a guy sitting next to you dressed like that, just give him a high five. He's crazy, okay? Okay, I'm in three layers here. I'm freezing. Um, thanks, George, for the introduction. George W. Bush, you missed this story this morning, so I'm going to tell it now. George W. Bush, the former president of the U.S., was in an airport, and he saw a guy at the corner uh, dressed in a long robes with white long hair, a long beard, and, and in his staff was... Uh, in his hand was a staff and tablets. So he thought to himself, oh, I wonder if that's Moses. So he decides to go up to this old man and he says, excuse me, sir, are you Moses? And the guy looks in the ceiling, looks at the ceiling and ignores him. And George Bush thinks again, okay, let me try again. Excuse me, sir, uh, are you Moses? And this guy continues to ignore him and just looks into the ceiling. And George Bush pulls on his sleeve and says, excuse me, sir, but are you Moses? And this old man with a lot of irritation said, ah, yes, I am. And so George asked Moses, why are you so irritated? You know, why are you so uppity? What's wrong? And Moses replied, the last time I spoke to a bush, I ended up wandering in the desert for 40 years. <laughs> so, my wife, Wan Yi, says, I must stop my wandering in the sermon and get right to the point, okay? So, here's what we're going to tackle this, uh, this evening. Um, how many of you were here this morning? Okay, so a few of you. How many of you are coming to church for the first time this year? No, don't put up your hands. Um, there are basically three modes of functioning, okay? A survival mode, a success mode, and a significance mode. And how do you discern which mode you're in at this point in your life? So there are different questions that you can ask yourself. In the survival mode, you ask yourself questions like this. Where's my next meal coming from? How do I pay my school fees? Uh, what do I do when I get evicted? Uh, you know, there's an impending retrenchment. Do I take it, not take it? Uh, what do I do with my student debt, my labola, the black tax? You've got all these questions. How do I cope with my spouse's infidel infidelity? What do I do with my child who has special needs and just diagnosed? Survival mode. In the success mode, you ask questions like this maybe. How do I increase my passive income? How do I, what's next on my bucket list? What can I do? How can I repay my parents for the sacrifices they've made? Um, where can we go for holiday? Okay, so in the success mode, you think about these things. In your significance mode, you ask these questions. How do I want to be remembered? If I can't take my money with me, then where do I want to invest it today for eternal outcomes? Or you may ask yourself, what am I willing to die for? 
So all of us will be in one of the three modes, and some of us may um, take a step back, or you may progress, okay? But the point is, it doesn't really matter what mode you're in. I want to challenge you to, to, to think about the Lord's Prayer, or the first two verses of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, so Matthew 6, it's there. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what does it mean for you and I, irrespective of the mode we're in, to see God's name glorified, His name made renowned? What does it take to see God's kingdom come? And how can we see heaven on earth? What do we need to do in the mode we're in to bring heaven to earth? What does it take to bring about change and sustain that change? Change is both a destination and a journey. So you can never say we've arrived, probably. Okay? That happens when Christ returns and we're in the millennial rule of Christ and we return to join Him for all eternity. So it's a journey and it's also a destination that we aim for, we strive for. But for change to happen, we must have a theory of change. For change to happen, you must know what's happening and why it happens. Make sense? Alright? What is happening, how it's happening, and why it's happening. So, Here's why I, I named this sermon Hats and Glasses. We have to look at the hat that we wear and ask ourselves if we have to change it the way you think. We've got to look at the glasses that we wear, the way we see, and ask ourselves if we need to change it. Is there anything wrong in the way we think and in the way we see? So, they say a kudu can jump over three meters if it can see in front of it. So if there's a fence, a kudu can jump over three meters, or a deer, or a reindeer. And if they, a, a kudu can't see beyond the wall, it won't jump, as long as it cannot see where it will land. So the sermon today is to hopefully help us see beyond. Okay? And a part of that requires an understanding of this subject called worldviews, which is what we're going to talk about today. So let's define a worldview, a set of assumptions held consciously or unconsciously about the basic makeup of the world and how it works. So we, CS and I, in our discussion, we say in the theme for the year, let's stand. What do we stand for? What do we stand against? What does the scripture say? Who are we positionally and what do we do as followers of Christ? We want to challenge the church in refining its discernment. And one aspect of that is in understanding, grasping this whole subject of worldviews. So I will just be a signpost today, okay? I'm just going to give you a, 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 a sketch, an overview, point you in certain directions, and then really the responsibility will lie with you. Uh, I'm a learner too. So I don't profess to be an expert. Uh, I'm not a philosopher by trade. Um, 
but I enjoy talking nonsense like most of you. So, um, so I might be confrontational, but I, will, I promise you I'll do it with a smile, all right? And good luck. <laughs> so here's the diagram. Let's start with this following diagram. Look at this infographic or this picture. We look at certain aspects of culture and there's something about it that we don't like. So on the count of three, I want you to shout out one thing in culture today in South Africa that you don't like. So I'll give you an example. I do not like the, in West Africa specifically, <laughs> I really don't like the way men treat women, the way they speak to women. No, no please, no thank yous. And, and that is very, very uh, evident in patriarchal societies, okay? So, so that's one example. So in the count of, on the count of three, shout out one thing that you don't like in your culture today. One, two, three. Great. So we all have something that we don't like, okay? And we all have something that we like also. Now, where does culture come from? Culture is aggregated behavior. What is behavior? Aggregated behavior, basically, aggregated individual behavior. So where does individual behavior come from? It comes from the value, uh, well, it comes from the systems that you're in, and your systems come from the set of values and beliefs that you hold, and your values and beliefs come from worldview, and your worldview comes from the metaphors and the myths. So if you're Afrikaner, you probably heard from someone the Blood River story, right? What happened at Blood River? Ra ra, Anglo Boer War, right? Uh, you cross from here to here, and if you're Zulu, then you heard all the ra ra stories, right? So there are certain things in our culture that are legends and myths and metaphors, and those stories, those narratives, those yeah, those stories shape worldview. So this morning I shared uh, an example from um, the Chinese people, basically, because I am Chinese. If you haven't realized, uh, any any others that are Chinese here? So I also checked this morning, and I think it's quite safe, though the Facebook streaming thing is a, is a problem. The Chinese people are pretty much racist, okay? And actually, they really believe they're superior, and there's a sort of a supremacist-type ethos. Why do I say this? Because in the culture you get told these things, and I'll, I'll share a few examples. One is you're told that, look, we've been around a long time, and we know better than most people and most civilizations. The Chinese language, Mandarin, archaic Chinese was formed 4,000 years ago. The written language solidified 3,000 years ago. and pretty much hasn't changed since the Shang Dynasty, 1100 BC. The language is superior. We haven't made many mistakes. <laughs> Culture, art, science. I, I was, uh, we had dinner as a family with a macadamia farmer and he was saying to us, you know, macadamia, the industry has been around for 100 years. There's so much we don't know. And he said, compared to the citrus farming business. 
He said, you can, you, uh, the Chinese have, have records of citrus farming 5,000 years ago. And there's very little that you, we don't know about citrus farming today. If you do this, this happens. If you do that, that happens. Okay, it's quite fascinating. And again, Chinese, superior. Um, here's another one that not many people, none of you will know. The Chinese people add a suffix to different people groups. They add the suffix ghost or demon. Okay, so they will say, you African ghost. You, you Malay ghost, you Afrikaner demon, basically. It, it's, it's said in a, in a, it's not like derogatory. It's not, it's not endearing either. But it's, yeah, superior. Okay? We are men and you are not men. You're subhuman, basically. You see? Even in the language, there's a superiority. Final one. The Great Wall of China, 20,000 kilometers long, built over 2,294 years. Now, who built something for 2,294 years? <laughs> right? Either they're really poor contractors, builders, or they've got a certain persistence in the culture that says, we will win we will prevail no matter what. These are the examples of myths and metaphors that pervade the Chinese people's culture. But it's wrong. Because biblically, we know that we're all created in God's image. Our value before Him is equal. Yes, we're unique. But we're no better or no worse. You get it? So if we want to change the way the Chinese people speak, we have to go back and address, you can go back to the, yeah. We have to go back to address the myths and the metaphors which shape the worldview, which shape the values and beliefs, the, the systems, the behaviors, and therefore prevailing culture. You okay so far? All right. Um, this morning, I shared um, an integrated story that my father told me about where my, sort of his side of the family came from, and then also what my uncle did with us. Uh, we were in our 20s, and my uncle, who is the patriarch of the family, brought us all together, all my cousins, and there were 12 of us, or slightly less, and he sat us down and he said, I want you to know where you come from. I want you to know who you are, as the yip. And he started off with this phrase, we come from nothing, we have nothing. Never ever forget that God brought us to where we are. Okay? And here's a bit of the background. So my, my, my grandmother's father, my, my, maternal grandma, my maternal grandmother's father was a developer, a builder, a tycoon. And he actually built, you can show the next slide, he built this town in the northern part of Malaysia that is today uh, sort of the epicenter for rice paddy farming, basically. It's called Sungai Petani. So on the right, you will see a picture of the clock tower. He built the clock tower, he built the, the, the police station, he built the fire station, and the town is called Sungai Petani. 
um, river for farmers or farmer's river, okay? So he sort of founded that town. And then the Japanese came in World War II. They occupied that part of the, well, the whole country. And, and what they did was they went to his mansion and they evicted him and his wife and my grandmother and her sister and relocated them across the street. And so they live in this shack across their mansion. And my grandfather would sit in front of that shack every day, looking at the Japanese come in and out of his mansion. And he soon after died, a broken man. Okay. My grandmother inherited some stuff, got married to my grandfather. My grandfather wasn't a very good investor and basically lost all of that inheritance. And so when my father was born, he grew up in an environment that was really poor, urban poor. Uh, in, the, in, the, in the capital city, you know, in a small little apartment on the second floor, he's shown me that, that location. Um, in that little apartment, three bedrooms, three families. And so his family, six siblings, six kids and two adults, they live in that one apartment room, all sleeping on the floor. And so that's how they grew up. And so when my uncle said, remember, we came from nothing, that was the context. So don't have pride. Consider yourself with sober judgment. Have gratitude in your hearts. That was the narrative that he was trying to convey to us. Can you see how powerful that is? All right. So, it's critical to have a worldview. And, you know, you can sit here and think, no, nah, I don't have a worldview. I'm fine. It's not true. Okay? Because there's a quotation. People without an organized system of thought will always be at the mercy of those who have one. So if you sit here and you say, I don't have a worldview. I don't need it. I'm fine. My friend, you're ignorant. Okay? You just don't know what you don't know yet. You do have a worldview. And tonight, hopefully, you'll be able to identify which one it is. And course correct. Because the worldview we should espouse, if you say you follow Jesus, should be the biblical worldview. Right? We are a blend, of course. Hence the need for loving correction and foreigners like me to come and tell you this stuff, okay? All right. So it's critical to have a worldview. You'll see a series of slides. Um, there'll be a lot of information. If you disagree with one, two, or some points, my invitation to you is not to reject everything that you hear, all right? To wrestle with it, to continue to think about it. There will be a lot of content. You're welcome to come and ask me for the PowerPoint, or I may give it to the church office. Uh, or you can take pictures of the slides. None of it is proprietary. All right? There will be three broad worldviews that I'll introduce to you. I won't have the time to, to go through everything. I learned that also this morning, that there's just too much to cover. So I will skim and I will maybe point out certain things, uh, uh, emphasize certain things which I feel might be relevant. And um, yeah, are you good? push the guy next to you and say, get ready. Okay, so broadly speaking, you will see on the screen three 
worldviews. The animistic worldview would include a lot of the uh, faith systems or religious systems that are typically polytheistic, meaning many gods. Okay, so the, uh, the Hindu, Hinduism, Buddhism, the African traditional religion, all right? And then secularism, uh, you would see, um, you know, secular humanism. Uh, nowadays, you know, some would even associate neoliberalism, uh, atheism, all right? And then the theism is primarily monotheistic, meaning believe in one God. And there are three faiths that are monotheistic. There is the Muslims, the Jews, Judaism, and then Christianity, all right? So when you see the middle column theism, it's essentially the Christian worldview. I've, it's, it does not include Judaism and Islam, okay? So let's go. What's the ultimate reality for the Christian worldview? It's a personal relationship between God and us. In the, on the right side, it's man and matter. It's physical. On the left side, it's primarily spiritual. Everything that happens in the physical, natural world is as a result of a spiritual source. What's the time frame? In the theistic worldview, it's past, present and, present and future. On the right, present. On the left, past. In our worldview, in the biblical worldview, we have these three terms for time. Eschatos, Kairos, and Kronos. Kronos, we all know. A chronometer, chronology. So it's sequential, it's linear, hours, minutes, seconds. It, it, it moves sequentially, uh, linearly. Kairos is fulfillment. Quality. Kronos would be quantity, measurable. Kairos would be God's fulfillment or God's plan fulfilled in its intended time. That's Kairos. Eschatos is everything that happened pre-beginning and post-end. That sounds crazy, right? Beginning, end. Eschatos is everything before the beginning and after the end. And therefore, the study of eschatology is the study of end times. What's going to happen from now until the return of Christ and thereafter? Okay? That's our worldview. In the secular humanistic worldview, it's just today. If there is no tomorrow or an afterlife, what does that mean? That means, why should I care? I don't have to account. So life is about pleasure. For me, myself, and I, wine, women, and song, for tomorrow, I die. If I was a secular humanist, that's how I would live. Why wouldn't you? What's, what's the point of being good? What's the point of doing good? Pretty fatalistic. Next slide. History in our worldview is going somewhere. We are preparing for the return of our king. There is a king and he's coming back. In the animistic worldview, 
It's cyclical, all right? So you, you read in Buddhism and Hinduism, reincarnation. That's where it comes from. And then in a secularistic worldview, time is running out. And what's the code word for time is running out today? Climate change. Population explosion. Paranoia. Time's running out. Stop having kids. Okay? Especially if you're not married. Seriously. <laughs> and if you already have a kid, talk to George. <laughs> um, what is the goal of history? To fill the earth with the knowledge of the Lord's glory. We want to see God's kingdom here on earth. Okay? What's the goal of history? On the right, survival of the fittest. Pleasure. On the left, harmony with nature. And you, and you read this in the Hindu worldview. Uh, so, so, so meditation, reincarnation, and the more good you do, the, the better you, your reincarnated form to the point where you achieve moksha, nirvana, right? where you're one with the cosmos. You harmonize with nature, just like the two people singing up front there. Harmony. That's what... That, that whole worldview is looking for. Um, who rules nature? God does. What is our system like? In our understanding of the world, the universe, we live in an open system. So on the right, there is natural law. The law of physics apply, and you can't do anything about it. Everything must be empirically measurable. Now, in our worldview, everything can be measured, but you know what? God is not bound by the natural. Therefore, He can operate outside of it, which is why the supernatural exists, which is why healing can happen, which is why we've got angels and demons. Okay. On the left, capricious, no system. Everything is random. It's unnatural, illogical. Next slide. Um, resources. On the right, zero sum. It's running out. Scarcity is the order of the day. In the biblical worldview, abundance. God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. God created all things. Everything was good. And he will return to redeem it all. It's been redeemed by the completed work of the cross, but full redemption will come when he returns. Okay? Our perspective is theocentric. Evil, that's another one. Why is there evil in this world? On the left, it's because your ancestors are not happy with you, or it's because the spirits are not happy with you, and what do you do? You appease the spirits through sacrifice, usually, right? All my African friends here, Asian friends, anyone that comes from the global south, everything that goes wrong in life is because the ancestors are not happy. Now, on the right, 
No, 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 no. Evil is the absence of good. Okay? And patently, in the biblical worldview, that is not entirely right. Because evil, in our worldview, is personal. His name is Lucifer. It's also natural. It happened when God had to curse man and all created things in Genesis 3. What is the impact of sin? Fear, shame, and guilt. What does God offer? Grace and mercy. Next slide. Truth is absolute. And because truth is absolute, it can lead to true wisdom and freedom. On the right, truth is relative. You decide. You are your own God. No one can tell you it's wrong. Everyone should tolerate your moral code or your moral standard. And therefore, anarchy is a distinct possibility. Moral bankruptcy is a distinct possibility. You read in the papers all the time. The world is going mad. On the left, truth is hidden, unknowable. You don't need to understand truth. What you need to do is trust the Sangoma. Trust the witch doctor, the medium, the spiritist. They will help you in tune with the spiritual world, the demonic world, your ancestors, and it's all mystical. How do we learn as Christians? Through specific and general revelation and through observation. On the right, rationalism. It's all reason and only reason. But we don't just rely on reason. We also receive revelation. Amen? Okay. So moral absolutes uh, that is undergirded, you know, anchored by unconditional love. On the left, amoral. On the right, immoral. Or situational morality. You decide. Let me go to the next slide. I'll skip all of this. Go to the next slide. Science and technology. Christians should be the best scientists. How many of you have science as one of your subjects or you are in science? Put up your hands. Yeah. If you're sitting next to someone who's doing science, applying science, give them a high five. Yeah. Great. Because God created the universe, the universe is inherently good, though fallen. But the universe is worthy of study, okay? So it is open. So I've said this earlier. And if we have a moral code, if there is a code of ethics determined by God through His Word, then the question we ask should be, ought we to do it? So this morning I referred to this Chinese researcher who was doing some gene editing on, an, on a fetus or an embryo. So is gene editing okay or not? Okay. So there are ethical issues in that question. And typically, it all comes down to can we play God? Right? Euthanasia is another one. Abortion is another one. Um, so ought we to do it? Just because we can, should we do it? On the right, it doesn't matter. It's can we do it? And let's not 
inhibit the progress of science. We can do it. Early term abortion, late term abortion, whatever it is, science allows it. But science in and of itself needs to be governed by a moral code. It's what we as Christians believe. Um, the nature of man, we're created in God's image. On the right, you're an animal, the highest form, meaning you're all mouth. Okay? And what goes in must come out. That's all you are. Okay? You eat and you poop. <laughs> to put it crudely, that's, that's on the right. Now we're in the image of God. And hence, in His image, we have the ability to co-create, to be in relationships, and to be a steward. So this means that I want you to tell the person next to you your occupation. Your vocation, or the study that you're currently pursuing, okay? Now, I want you to say to that person now, if you're an architect, be the best architect you can be. If you're an engineer, be the best engineer you can be. If you are a toll booth collector, you collect money at the toll booth, be the best toll booth collector you can be. Why? Because you're created in God's image. And man, Christians should be the best artists, poets, sports people, entrepreneurs, doctors, scientists that you can find. We should be the best. Right? Because we have God's image in us. Man's role, we are a steward and a region. We will rule, reign and work the garden and care for the garden. That's our responsibility. Go read Genesis 1 and 2. Um, you know, on the left, what is man to the animist? You're a cancer. The Vietnamese eat the rhino horns, the Chinese smuggle the pearl limons, and um, I'm ashamed. <laughs> Seriously. And so, is it, any, is it any surprise that man is viewed as a cancer? With climate change, with Potentially by 2100 AD, will be 11 and a half billion people. It's a problem. So what do we do? Get rid of the cancer. How do we get rid of the cancer? Well, abortion, eugenics, population control, okay? Stuff like that. So, oh, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, we need to actually go beyond the surface. Go back to the metaphors, the values, the beliefs. Why are we being told to do certain things? Not by the church, but by the world. The economic system. Um, so, agrarian, um, you know, animistic, still very much about the system. Okay? Subsistence, farming. So, enough to survive. Um, and then, on the right side, consumerism scarcity, late capitalism. What is late capitalism? Basically, uh, capitalism was you had money, you invested in the means of production, Karl Marx, right? Uh, factories, and then you produce goods, and then you would sell the goods to get money. So money would lead to goods, which would lead to money. 
That's capitalism. What's late capitalism? Money would be invested in the stock market, which doesn't exist, doesn't have really any real products. And then, depending on how it goes, you get money. So money invested into money leads to more money with no goods. That's late capitalism. There's a book written in 2015 called Post-Capitalism. I would encourage you to read it. Sort of this guy projecting where we're headed with capitalism. Um, but capitalism grew as a result of the Protestant ethic. So if you're, who's a sociologist here? You all would have read Max Weber, who wrote this thesis called The Protestant Ethic and the Rise of Capitalism. So Charles Wesley, uh, John Wesley, basically said, man, if you're a Christian, you work hard. You work damn hard. Okay? And you save and you give generously. So it's the Protestant ethic, the hard work that Christians have that his thesis says caused the world to become rich. Okay? That's what the gospel does. The gospel, when it moves into a nation, brings with it prosperity because the Christians work darn. So if you're lazy, <laughs> none of you are lazy, <laughs> okay, I hope. <laughs> what are you doing on a Sunday night? You should be working. <laughs> okay, I'm joking, I'm joking. So why do we work? Next slide. To glorify God um, versus to survive or to consume. The concept of equality. So on the left, you speak about Equality meaning equal distribution. Okay? That's socialistic. In the middle, it's equitable before God and man and the law. So what is equitable? Equitable is the following. It doesn't mean equal. Equitable means what is right, what is fair, what is just. So the picture is, think Zacchaeus meets Jesus and he decides without anyone pressuring him that he should repay everyone four times what he stole from them. That's equitable. It's beyond equality. Okay? So, let's go through a couple of community values. If you say you follow Jesus, then you waste your life in service to others, self to others. The focal point of your small group, your church, is not I, it's also not we, it's actually Him. That is the highest form of fellowship, a focus on Him, which includes you and I. Um, fellowship instead of individualism or conformity, communalism. Next slide. Our community is always God-centered, how we function within that community is always sanctified self-interest, okay? Versus selfishness or self-depreciation. We are interdependent versus dependent and independent and insufficient, meaning we allow ourselves to be vulnerable and ask for help. You don't come as the guy who's got everything solved because you probably don't and neither do I. In our insufficiency, intimacy, fellowship, trust, community develops. 
So if you go to your small group and you're like, you have a mask on, my friends, take it off. Take it off. Okay? Um, that's a whole nother sermon. Okay, skip. Carry on. Uh, next slide. Okay, I'll, I'll go to the last line. Let's talk about mindsets. In the animistic worldview, I can't do it because it's the ancestors or the spirits that will do it. On the right, I can do it. Man and machine will do it together. In the theistic worldview, God can do it because all things are possible through God. Next slide. I'm a responsible person and can empower others. Versus on the left, I am a victim. Fatalistic. I cannot do anything because it is out of my control. It is a supernatural or the spiritual or biology that dictates how I function. I am a victim. Life happens to me. Versus life is what I make it. Versus as a Christian, God leads me and I obey his leading. Interdependent, initiator, progressive, innovative. You should, we, if we follow Christ, we should be providing solutions for the world in creative ways. So if in your blood you 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 are wired to be an entrepreneur. Go be one. Go start a few businesses if you can. All right? It's the ingrained gift of being a co-creator. Next slide, entrepreneurial. Um, okay? The stuff that happens to you isn't just luck and fate. Uh, it's not just purely hard work, but it's hard work, and God's favor and blessing. So, in this world, a man must either be an anvil or a hammer, meaning that he is either a molder of society or is molded by society. Next slide. Yeah. And you can see that saying there. So what's next? If you sat here this evening and you thought to my, yourself, oh my goodness, I'm actually more on the left or more on the right. Here's the good news. The good news is I can sing a song to you. And the song goes like this. Read your Bible, pray every day. Pray every day, pray every day. Read your... And I'm serious. You want to have a biblical worldview, if you want to grasp the biblical worldview, you must saturate yourself with God's Word. You must put yourself before Christ. You must put yourself into a community that seeks to know and apply the biblical worldview. Next, so on this slide, you see here 26 stories. That's a start, okay? I can give you 365. But 26 would be sort of the minimum to help you acquire or to catch the biblical worldview from creation to Christ. Why the need for Christ? And where did it all start? It started in Genesis 1. 
This is the biblical meta-narrative. And you probably need to read it 50 times or listen to it 50 times. That's more or less what research tells us, that once you have been exposed to it repeatedly at least 50 times, you internalize it. It becomes you. Which is a whole other sermon. I've got a lot of sermons. Okay, here, short summary. Uh, next slide. A sh you can take a picture of this. This would sort of be the simplest form. There's also a seven-minute video, which I don't have time to show you. And let's go to the application, which will conclude our time. You can just show the application, maybe both sides at the same time. So what could you possibly apply from tonight? And I will give you some time for discussion, okay? Know the truth, apply the truth. Um, take small steps in the right direction. What does that look like? Well, it looks like retaining the right things. Can you pass that to me? So this is a, my wife tells me this is called a colander, okay? So what does a colander do? Colander, how do you say it? Colander, colander, all right. Um, you put your fruit in or your vegetable in, you rinse it, and all the stuff you don't want comes out. So what are you retaining and what are you flushing out? Here's another one. Here's a sift. So what's a sift? You want the good things to come out, but you want to catch the bad stuff. Okay? So retain the right things and remove the wrong things. You've got to reprogram your myths, your metaphors. You've got to reprogram your mind. Romans 12 says, renew your mind. Do not conform transform okay. and um, take small steps in the right direction learn to judge so I know Luke in both in Luke and Matthew Jesus says don't judge um, the Greek there probably closer to don't condemn okay. but you will find scriptures that will say judge and don't judge all the epistles that Paul wrote we're basically judging letters. Man, you screwed up. And here's what you need to do. Remember I taught you this? Don't do this. Do this. So, we need to learn how to judge what we judge and what we should not judge and how to judge, which is another sermon, okay? So, I want to suggest to you we do need discernment in how to judge and how to speak truth in love and how to surround yourself and you need to surround yourself with giant killers discipleship helps you to sift through the right things and the wrong things so if you're not in a small group you need to be in a small group or you need to be in the discipling community and in South Africa you need to have a cross-cultural friend that is of a different ethnicity than you okay because your cross-cultural friend needs to help you to navigate your blind spots in your culture and in your worldview. 
you and I have prejudices. And we don't know what we don't know because you can't smell your own breath. You need someone to help you. And in the cross-cultural things, you need a cross-cultural friend. Okay, it's very logical, right? The problem is we don't do it because we've got the mask. So take it off. Ask for help and say to a person of another race, I need you. So what is your takeaway from today, this evening? Uh, just take two, three minutes, and after which, uh, you know, George will come forward and maybe invite you, challenge you. If, if perhaps you know your orientation is more, well, is not the biblical worldview, perhaps you want to respond. You want to come forward? You want to acknowledge certain things? You want to confess certain things? You want to be placed into a small group? Maybe you need to now move around the room and look for someone who, is of a, who can be your cross-cultural friend. Okay? Um, I can maybe accept two, but I can't accept 200. <laughs> I'm the natural cross-cultural friend, of course. Everyone's a cross-cultural friend to me. Okay. <laughs> In, in, in Stellenbosch. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so here's the discussion. What's your takeaway? Right? A couple of minutes of discussion, two, three people, and after which George will come forward. The Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and give you peace. And may you apply what you've heard. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.